Hey there, cadets. Jeff here. Now, before we get into the show, I just wanted to apologize for an issue with the last episode, number 143. Now, usually when we write history segments, we usually compile a bunch of information over time, and we put it into this digital file we have, and it sometimes sits there for months, and then we use that to write the actual history segments. Now, last week, about the Firehouse 5 plus 2, we inadvertently used a document we thought was our written history segment, but was actually a uh, an old Jim Corcus article from Mouse Planet, which was a complete and total mistake on our end, and we totally apologize for it. Uh, We didn't want anyone to think that all that hard work uh, was ours. It was actually Jim's work. So you can actually read more about the Firehouse 5 plus 2 in Jim Corcus's new book, The Vault of Walt, Volume 3. Um, Jim is a master Disney historian, and of course, we respect him. All of you guys should respect him. He's done some great stuff over the years, and we just wanted to apologize. We totally messed up. That was our bad. We're very, very sorry, and uh, go check out his book. This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel, the official travel agency of Communicore Weekly. Email Communicore Weekly at fairygodmothertravel.com to book your Disney vacation today. Again, that's fairygodmothertravel.com. Welcome to season three. Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. I'm so excited that it's still October and all these things are still going on. Aren't you still excited, George? Oh, yeah, yeah. The weather is cool. No, and no, no, no. The leaves no. are falling. And no, that's, I'm not talking about that stuff. We bought pumpkin spice no. flavored peanut butter to try. Oh, <laughs> you know how much I hate peanut butter. I don't know why you would even bring that up. Oh, I don't know. It's just all the constant and consistent ribbing on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter oh. about how frightened I am of all of the haunts. Okay, that's, I guess I guess that's a fair trade-off. For the record, <laughs> I do rub it into George a little bit that he won't do any of the haunt stuff. And for the record, I am have some sort of averse reaction to peanut butter. It just literally makes me nauseous. So I guess that's a fair trade-off. So before I get even more sick, maybe we should jump to the trip report and I can tell you about the haunt stuff. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. So as of right now, I have officially uh, visited many of the more famous haunted attractions here in Southern California for this lovely haunt season, but I'm going to focus on two right now, uh, Knott's Scary Farm and Queen Mary Dark Harbor, because uh, Knott's I've already been to, uh, by the time this episode (laughs) airs, probably three times, and Queen Mary I went to uh, (laughs) once. What, now, why are you well, laughing? Should, well, shouldn't they take the theme? It shouldn't it be Queen Scary. It could. It should be Queen Scary, but they do Queen Mary Dark Harbor, which I think is a little better. I guess I don't know. I really like Not Scary Farm as the play on words there. I think it's great. I do too. But so that's okay. that's let's great. start with that one. Uh, okay. Not Scary Farm is awesome. I very much enjoyed it last year for the first time when I went, and they added two new mazes this year, which one of them is by far my favorite maze in the history of mazes that have ever mazed. Wow, that's amazing. I, 
<laughs> should have saw that coming. You should have. Did you it. Have, so. Very clever. Um, <laughs> but uh, the maze I speak of is voodoo. And uh, I've always been kind of into the whole voodoo culture. And they just kind of blew this one out of the water. Um, wow. it, it was like there was a whole scene at the end or the second half of the maze happens in the Louisiana Bayou. And if you didn't look up and see the ceiling of the warehouse you're in, you would swear you're in the bayou with the water and like the the humid fog and everything. I mean, it was. You mean down uh, in the bayou? Yeah, exactly. Just oh, way, okay. way more scary. Not okay, not, more, okay. not as happy. Um, <laughs> and it was kind of unique too because it was a maze that you kind of uh, it was like a choose your own adventure novel because Ooh. at two different parts in the maze you can split off and go with different directions. So you kind of have to go through the maze twice to see everything. That's um, smart. It was very smart. It was very clever, and I, I think I went through it probably seven or eight times total. Very, very. Wow! Fun. Wow! Did you have any uh, compatriots? Uh, the first time, the first three times, I went through with uh, Norm from from Mice Chat, our buddy Norm, mm-hmm. and then uh, I went through a bunch of times when we went for the Mice Chat event uh, two days later with Ooh. as a group, and it was uh, okay. it was great. And uh, I'll be going again probably this weekend to make up my third time, and I am very excited. Um, Tooth Fairy is also a, a new maze, and it's based around the legend of the Tooth Fairy, uh, except she doesn't come into your room and leave you money. She actually brings you back to her dark dimension and uh, eats your soul. Um, very Good. kid-friendly. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, by far, one of, the, one of the longest mazes I've been in and one of the most innovative as well. A lot of really interesting imagery. They had a, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but the Tooth Fairy is at the end, and she is way impressive, that's for sure. Um <laughs> I, you know, all the other returning mazes that they I went through were fantastic. I got to do all the skeleton key rooms, which is like an extra experience. Um, Black Magic, which was my favorite maze of last year, is now my second favorite maze of this year. It's still fantastic. And actually, George, you would kind of like this. They had this thing called Special Ops Infected, and it was basically zombie laser tag. Um, wow, zombie they, laser tag. So they gave you a laser gun, and you had to go off on this mission with your group. And there were zombies in the course, and they were all wearing, like, headbands. So when you shot them in the head, they would know they were shot and they would fall down dead. Oh, not because they're in 1970s No, no, not because they're in in an Olivia Newton-John music video, but actually because it just needed the sensors. Um, I gotcha. But it was really cool. I mean, it was like a 15-minute experience. Um, It was super fun. I I think that one you would have enjoyed. There were a few scares, obviously, because zombies pop up and eat people sometimes. Um... (laughs) We also got captured by a bunch of raiders, and we were locked in a cage for a couple of minutes. And some woman uh, outside the cage kept poking me with her uh, machete. But um, other than that, I thought it was great. Um, saw my girlfriend Elvira again. Elvira's Big uh, Top is the name of her show. Yeah. Um, how old is she? Do you know? She's in her late sixties now. There's no way. She's gorgeous. She looks too she, good. She looks must good. bathe in the souls of I don't know something because she looks fan. Fantastic. And she's hilarious, too. She's been on a great show. And no play on words with Elvira's Big Top. No, all. not at all. Completely on the level. Totally kid-friendly. Bring your family. Just kidding. Don't do it. A lot of inappropriate jokes. So um, you bring up a really good point. Um, not scary sounds like it's incredibly impressive, but it's nothing like Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. No. Right? You bring your kids to Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. If the monsters at Not-Scary Farm see you having a difficult time with being scared or showing fright, then they will go out of their way to make sure they harass you even more. Um, I saw one girl, like, huddled in a corner, almost crying, trying to get away from them because she was so scared, and they were just 
relentlessly surrounding her and like, you know, taunting her and making loud noises. To me, that's hilarious. To her, probably traumatizing. I think, I mean, you, you've helped me make up my mind. I think I'm ready to say no. <laughs> oh, Never. now you're ready to say no. <laughs> One of these days we'll get you to go. Um, I When we go with the big group, I have to hold the glowing sword of destiny at the end of the group, and they usually come towards me because obviously light attracts you monsters. Light. Everybody knows yes. that. Yes, of course, of course. So the you'll, be, you'll be okay. But um, I love Not Scary Farm. I think it's great. I actually bought a season pass for the Scary Farm for the rest of the season. Um, that's is how it, much I it, love it. Is it only weekends? Uh, they, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. That's, um, I forget awesome. the actual dates, but it's all, it's like till the last weekend, uh, or the first weekend of November is their last dates. Totally worth it. It was like 65 bucks for, for me. Um, so I, I definitely recommend it if you're in the Southern California area. Um, Queen Mary, I had never been to before, and I was pretty impressed with what they, what they put together. Um, they had granted all the mazes were new to me but they had two new mazes this year and uh they were soulmate and b340 um, now before we get further this is the queen mary the boat that disney used to own the queen the actual historic queen mary which is in uh the harbor and it's yeah. there forever it cannot move unless you're lucille bluth um <laughs> and they the outside i mean it's like a carnival atmosphere on the outside and then they have th- they have three mazes outside and three mazes that actually take you into the ship. So they use the ship in three of their mazes. And the three mazes that are on the ship are actually based around actual ghost legends about the ship. So the Queen Mary is basically, the Queen Mary Dark Harbor is the only haunt that is actually located at a legitimately haunted location. Oh. Which makes it a little more creepy. Sure. Um, but, it, I mean, it was super awesome. Uh, Soulmate was new. It was based on The Legend of Graceful Gale. Uh, B340 was based on Samuel the Savage, who was a, you know, a guy who kind of went crazy, and he hurt some people, and they locked him in the room, and when they opened it later, they found he was kind of, like, mauled. Um, mm. And then there was one, Submerge, which was based on The Legend of Scary Mary, who was a little girl who drowned in one of the pools. Uh, those three were on the ship, and they were great. Um, you're going to notice a theme here, but my favorite mm-hmm. maze of the evening there was called Voodoo Village. Now, I don't oh know my. what it is about voodoo this year, but it's, it's that in voodoo that you do. The that... voodoo that hoodoo? What? You? Uh, I don't know, I'm confused. <laughs> um, but the voodoo maze was fantastic. It was long, like, I, I think it was like 10 minutes to walk through the whole thing, but it was a lot of fun. Um, you probably would have cried, you know, three <laughs> seconds in. Um, I got beads. At one point during it, my second walkthrough of it, which was cool because obviously I was in New Orleans and they give out beads there. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a lot of fun. So basically, those are the more, I don't want to say family-friendly haunts because they're they're not family-friendly, obviously. But they're they're the normal haunts that people should go to. Um, later on, probably closer to the end of the season, we'll record a .5 episode about some of the more extreme haunts that I'm okay. going to, such as Blackout and Alone and I guess Delusion is family-friendly, because that, that was my favorite haunt from last year. But we'll talk about that also then. But, man, George, you really got to come out and, and check out some of these sometime. Well, do they let you run really quickly through the haunts? Like, you, well, I mean, if you want to, you can, but it's usually dark in there, and you can trip and hurt yourself, or other well, people, or the monsters. Uh, flailing your arms, running, screaming? Actually, brings up a good point. In one of the mazes uh, at Queen Mary Dark Harbor, it was called Circus, and... 
there was a bunch of hallways leading places, and I was navigating through them, and one of the it was really dark in there, so I couldn't see that well. And the clown <laughs> said, hey, this is the way out. Just squint your eyes so you can see and walk down this hallway. So obviously I thought he was telling the truth. So I squinted my eyes, thinking maybe that would help me see better in the dark. It didn't. He was actually leading me kind of like a, like a Looney Tune cartoon. It, I walked directly into a wall that was painted to look like a hallway, and I wailed my face on the wood, and the clown dude was cracking up. That's awesome. It was, it hurt, but it was hilarious, yeah. and I totally deserved it. See, um, maybe I could work in a haunt. You could work in a haunt if you like to scare people. Um, Jeff, I'm pregnant. What? <laughs> Our first communa baby? I fear that's gotta be the scariest thing anyway that really went in a strange direction it did it ended really weirdly we should probably end this one now then any worse yeah give us a call on the communicore weekly hotline talk to us about your favorite haunt what do you love about haunt season what scares you what is your favorite haunt call us at 424-785-4628 that's 424-785-GOAT he's a nerd he's a geek but we all like to hear him speak so listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. Okay, this week's book is Mark Davis, Walt Disney's Renaissance Man. So Disney's been releasing, you know, like one flagship title a year through its publishing imprints. You know, uh, last year we had the great Tinkerbell book. The year before that we've had some other ones. But this year we've had a few in 2014. The Little Golden Books that Charles Solomon did. The Mary Blair reprint and update. And uh, Charles Solomon also did a great look at Sleeping Beauty as well. Um, You know, where Disney's often sidestepped with their books has usually been around one of its artists. For some reason, they don't really focus on the artists that they've cultivated or grown within their company. And with the cancellation of Ahmed Amidi's Ward Kimball biography, of course, due to Disney editorial control, I wondered... How would Disney present a work on one of their most recognized and admired animators and Imagineers? So it, it's kind of an interesting answer for that one. Um, you know, instead of just releasing a straightforward biography of Mark Davis, we actually uh, have a book that's broken down into different aspects of Mark's artwork. And before each chapter uh, filled with this artwork, there's a story from a friend or a colleague or a student that kind of relates to the art you're about to see in the chapter itself. And it's, it's not the most terribly informative way to see Mark's life as a whole, but it really is a great way to sneak a peek at the man that Mark was to so the people that really knew him without really having a, you know, uh, uh, I don't want to say a slanted view, but it, it's, it's great to get a personalized view of Mark from his friends and family. Yeah, how people saw them. Um, it, it, I agree with Jeff. It's not in, There's not a lot of in-depth biographical information. If you want something really good, try John K. Maker's excellent Nine Old Men great uh, short biographical work but there is so much oh so much incredible concept art that you, you, you could be overwhelmed with it you know I found myself staring um, mouth agape at many of the images presented that span Mark's entire career and even if you only have a passing interest in a specific area of Mark's artwork like animation or theme parks or life drawings or his teaching you're going to find yourself drawn into the entire corpus of his work you know, marveling at his skill. You know, truly, it seems like there there really wasn't anything that Mark couldn't do. Oh yeah, absolutely. He, I mean, the title alone implies it. He was a Renaissance man. 
Um, I mean, if you've only ever saw Mark's drawings for Disney films and attractions, then you're really in for this gigantic treat because the man had so many styles and they are literally all on display here. There's fine art, there's artistic sketches, there's concept work for Disney. I mean, it's a lot of mind-blowing stuff. And it goes from one style to the next really quickly and it's, it's hard to even tell that they're from the same guy uh, in some instances. I was kind of like super blown mm -hmm. away. And I say this a lot about some of the art books we review, but I found myself wanting to take the pages out again and just hang them on my wall. Exactly. And that's why we need to buy multiple copies. Exactly. Yeah. So his, his style is so masterful. That's sort of what Jeff talked about. Even his sketches are really amazing pieces of art. Uh, each section does begin with an essay from someone within the Disney organization uh, that discusses how amazing and influential Mark was. The, the section on Imagineering written by, of course, Marty Sklar, makes sense, you know. Of course, they didn't ask either one of us to write it. Uh, it's okay, that's okay. But the, the drawings and the sketches and the paintings represent the, the gamut of theme park attraction design. And it shows how much Mark understood about people and gags and what they would enjoy. Uh, there were several pieces I'd never seen before. A few from the World of Motion and the Carousel of Progress. But I thought it was kind of odd that um, there was no art from the Country Bear Jamboree, and they covered the Western River Expedition, which sort of made me feel like, you know, Western River Expedition is kind of cool and hip and trendy, and the Country Bear Jamboree is kind of old school. I mean, that, that makes know? sense. Um, but a, a lot of the new art, though, which was previously uh, unseen, is a really great addition. And even some of the artwork that came from Alice Davis's personal collection completely blew my mind. Um, but I, I guess, you know, excluding some attractions was necessary because there's literally thousands of pieces yeah. that they could have chose from to put inside this book. But uh, overall, I mean, the book is a fantastic look at all of Mark's work and his range. And it, it's a little more than your usual art books that come from Disney uh, due to the inclusion of the stories from friends and colleagues. And to me, that makes it even more invaluable to your collection. Exactly. I think this is a book uh, we both wholeheartedly recommend. Um, and you know, I've said this before about certain books from Disney. You need to buy it when it comes out because you're going to see the price of this skyrocket probably yes. to $150 to $200 once it's out of print and you cannot find it anywhere. Absolutely. So if you love Mark Davis, love his work, you definitely need to pick this one up. We both enjoyed it. It is Mark, Mark Davis, Walt Disney's Renaissance Man. What we liked, what we didn't like, yays in the booze. 60 second review! Okay, we've got two Blu rays to discuss this week. That How Disney many? Released. Two! What? Two! Two Blu ray. Uh, first one up is Sleeping Beauty, which is probably the one that everyone's gonna buy, and everyone needs to buy it unless maybe you own the edition that was released in 2008. Yes. Which was before I owned a Blu-ray player, so I didn't get that one. I just had the DVD release from there. Um, so saying that, this is my very first chance to view this film in high definition. And wow. That's pretty much all you need to say. I mean, yeah. what can we say about the film itself that hasn't been said before? It's a gorgeous, wonderful film, but you're buying this to view it in high definition. Mm -hmm. And again... Wow, it's gorgeous <laughs> and high definition. It, it's it's fantastic. It, it does look really, really good. It's 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 gorgeous. It's hard to really tell. It's 
over 50 years old. Yeah. Um, and my boys were like, I don't want to watch this. It's about princess. But, you know, I forced them, told them they'd be grounded for at least a month. Um, <laughs> parenting tip from Community Core Weekly. Uh, and they were almost hooked from the beginning. You know, it, it looks gorgeous. I thought it sounded really well. And it wasn't until we got into some of the extras that I found out that they found, what was it? They found the original master recordings, which was pretty much unheard of. Yes, which is bizarre. And who who was involved in remixing it? I know you said it before. <laughs> Randy Thornton, who's done a lot of stuff for Disney, and Tony Baxter. Yeah, that man does everything. The mustache. The mustache. Um, the, the sound mustache. mixing mustache. He was part of it as well. I can just see his mustache at the control panel, you know, moving the... Anyway. The little well, sliders. Yeah, I digress. Um, but, you know, it... it they found the original uh, masters for everything, the vocals, the the um, the music, the orchestrations, and they were able to work at it and got an Academy Award winning, you know, sound designer to redo it. And it does sound gorgeous. It does sound good. It was kind of weird. I thought the vocals in some areas were kind of funny, but that may have been my sound system. It, it may have been. Well. I mean, this actually, the, the actual soundtrack is the same as the uh, 2008 Blu-ray yeah. release. So they didn't do anything to update it since then but it's still i mean i didn't hear any sound hiccups i thought it sounded great on my end it may just been something yours i don't maybe i wasn't paying attention enough to hear it I don't know. <laughs> but uh, let's it's, talk about the extras a little bit what do you think okay. about those uh, there, there wasn't anything unfortunately earth shattering there, there were two new deleted scenes uh that were uh, you know it's sort of like they're scraping the bottom of the barrel now for deleted scenes yeah. you know um but there was a really good documentary about disney villains but it was weird they interviewed Andrea Deja a lot, which he's fantastic. He's a great animator. But they also interviewed the producer, the director of Frozen, and slapped him in the middle of the documentary. And I was scratching my head going, what? Synergy. Synergy, yes, what it up. was. Because the, because the villain in Frozen, in case you haven't seen it, there's a twist. Ooh, yes. There's a twist to it. There is um, a twist. But it kind of made it weird. But uh, well, I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed the bonus feature about the Festival of Fantasy Parade. Yeah, I haven't seen the parade yet, but it made me want to see it even more. Yeah, it was it was it was that little you know they they picked a Disney star, but nobody in my family knew who it was, so obviously you know who knows. But it, it felt a little heavy-handed, and it was it was almost cute and charming and clumsy for Disney to do. And there were there were a lot of inside jokes. Yeah, that they enough. made about New Fantasy Land. So that was funny, but not worth the purchase of the DVD. But the even the, the classics. The classic Blu-ray edition, excuse me, from 2008 were actually really, really good because there was one about um, the sound and there was one about how uh, amazing a film it was. And that's one of the things that really got me is was watching it. Hadn't seen it in a few years. I was like, wow, the film is really beautiful. Yeah. And they went back and forth during the documentary uh, showing Snow White, Cinderella, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp. And then they go to Sleeping Beauty and I was like, oh, Sleeping Beauty. Is gorgeous. It's absolutely breathtaking, especially in high definition. But again, oh, yeah. to see that transition uh, was kind of, I don't want to say jarring. That's not the right word because that sounds But bad. in a good way. It was jarring in a good way. It was like, a, wow. a step up in quality. That's yeah. for sure. And they interviewed several animation historians like Michael Barrier and Charles Solomon. And they all said, you know, this was the very last of the incredibly lavish Disney animated films. Yeah. You, and we'll never see anything like it again. And, and, even if you if you own it on DVD, it is worth it to buy it. So if you own the 2008 uh, Blu-ray release, I mean, it's kind of debatable if you uh, need to, you know, buy this new one. But if you don't own it on Blu-ray already, definitely pick this one up. I mean, totally, totally worth it without a doubt. Yeah, I think um, it is. 
And to move on to changing gears completely <laughs> to our not area of expertise, we yes. also just had to watch Million Dollar Arm. And yeah, it's I, a sports movie, guys. It's a sports movie. And, and you know, when it was released theatrically, I didn't really have an interest in seeing it. Just didn't seem like it was going to be my cup of tea. Uh, but, you know, got review copies. Well, I said, sure. Uh, my kids said no. Um, but, you know. I was willing to sit down and watch it. Yeah, and because we like I you was, guys, we can do that yeah. for you. I mean, <laughs> and I was surprised. I was surprised by the film. I was, I was too. Really surprised. I mean, so. l- let's take a step back for a second. Disney knows how to work their sports film formula. They do it yes. really well. It's obviously, I mean, done well here again. Um, I, I'm not the biggest fan of all their sports movie, movies. Remember the Titans was great. I really enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. But this was rather, rather formulatic formulaic i don't know yeah whatever one of those but (laughs) it was still surprising and it was still kind of sweet and charming and i enjoyed it not enjoyed it like enough to go to the theater and see it but i did enjoy it in the comfort of my own home um not something i'll watch again anytime soon but yeah yeah it it, it was good the appeal to me was that it was sort of like a fish out of water story and those are always those can always be fun um uh, it was more than just having potential baseball players from India, but you know John Hamm's experience with Indian culture. You know, we in the movie we meet a sports agent who's not quite feeling like Jerry Maguire just yet, and he needs to book some solid sport type people, like for his agency. I don't know what that, you know, whatever, I don't know what but, that means. Yeah, but he's got to keep his business going, uh, and his partner. Who was the bad guy from Avatar? What? Uh, you know the the. We know how the, many of you guys have seen Avatar. Yeah, no, not not the blue skinned alien, the um. The other bad guy. The other no Avatar, the film with the karate. And, oh, uh, that Aang, Avatar. The one that was on. I'm so confused right now. I know. I'm sorry, but anyways, so but so, uh, his partner, John Hamm's partner, talks about the almost two billion fans of cricket that are in India, uh, India, and Han sees a golden opportunity. Yeah. It's a very uh, odd sequel to Mad Men, if if you will. Um, I mean, I didn't really see that direction. I'm just kidding. It's not a sequel to Mad Men, guys. Um, so there was just drinking in it, though. There was drinking in it, so I guess that kind of counts. To kind of wrap it up, uh, yeah. that that disc had a couple of extras. There was a making of featurette. Uh, there was an alternate ha- uh, ending where uh, John Hamm kills Dumbledore. Uh, a bunch of deleted <laughs> scenes, some outtakes, and a look at the musical score. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there was good stuff. Uh, you know, the alternative ending was just okay. The outtakes were really funny, I thought. And the making of featurette about the making of the mm-hmm. film was really uh, cool because I'm yeah. into that. I actually enjoy that a little more than the movie. Yeah, um, yeah like you said, it's well done. Disney knows how to make a sports film. We like sports. Know, with with, with yes. heart. I had a lot of trouble discerning what was a touchdown, what was a free throw. I, you know, I was just like, hey, bring me some Cracker Jack. That's Patrick? all I really know. No, that. Hot hockey guys, I know what hockey is. I love hockey. So oh, except Patrick. So uh, anyway, Sleeping Beauty, a most definite buy. Million Dollar Arm. If you're into the sports movies, by by all means, I think you should check that one out as well. George, what are your thoughts? I agree. Get Sleeping Beauty and you know check out you know Rent. Million Dollar Arm at least. Yes. Give it a look. Sometimes you might see it. Sometimes you don't. Hey, look what's that? It's a five-legged goat. I don't care what anybody says, my resort of choice when visiting Walt Disney World is Pop Century. Why? Because I am a sucker for pop culture, and it's cheap. So sue me. I don't want to spend a lot of money. I want to spend it in the parks, and not where I'm sleeping at night. So those high bucks don't really have a high conversion rate, clearly, because I like staying there. 
So each section of the resort is themed to a different time period, in case you've never been there before. My personal favorite is the 52nd section, which has a bowling theme. Now there are three buildings there, each with three wings, and at the end of each wing is a staircase, so you can get to the upper floors, of course. Now each staircase is inside a King Brunswick bowling pin. Now if you do the math and you carry the one, three buildings, three wings, and that equals nine gigantic bowling pins. But wait, isn't there ten pins in bowling? <gasps> There Surprise. are. Well, yes, there is. Did they forget the 10th pin? No, they oh. didn't. So if you want to find the 10th pin, you actually climb to the top of one of the stairwells that are overlooking the pool and then look down, and you'll find that the pool itself is in the shape of a bowling pin, making it the hidden 10th pin. They're very clever, those guys. Those Imagineers are so smart to design that. So, yeah, I agree with you. You know, hey, sometimes it's nice to visit or, you know, enjoy one of the more expensive uh, no, no, no. One of the deluxe resorts. Deluxe resorts, yes. Yes, we don't say expensive. Nope. Um, but pretty much, yeah, stay at Pop Century. Definitely you're only using it to sleep at night. It's fine. That's why you're doing well and shower, go to the bathroom. Well, I mean, that stuff too, but I mean, you don't have to pay for that, all that other stuff. Whatever, it's fine. No, that's true. That's true. So, okay, well, guys, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Yes, please leave us a comment and give us a rating on iTunes. Yeah, oh, we should go for 10. 10 stars, like 10 pins. pins. You know it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying anyway. Uh, you can always email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. And of course, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. Follow us both on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imagineerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, give us a call at the Communicor Weekly Goat Line at 424-785-4628. And grab your copy of the musical today. Find out how Jeff and George saved the world at Amazon, CD Baby, iTunes, listen for free on Spotify and Google Play. And of course, visit the Communicore Weekly Communa Store. Go to CommunicoreWeekly.com, click on the store, check out our shirts. We got some cool stuff there. And uh, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Calls in your court. <laughs>